What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of 68 Shining Moments presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Today, we are joined by the entire coaching staff from Florida's back-to-back national champions. All right, now pleased to welcome in uh, the best coaching staff I've ever been around. I can say that. I'll say it publicly to anybody. And I think what made the Florida coaching staff so good, uh, Billy Donovan, Donnie Jones, Anthony Grant, Larry Shiat, uh, was you guys were all so different. And, and I think you you guys um, really weren't worried about who got what guy or who did what and got what acclaim and, and, and accolades. You worked together, and, and it showed because the team worked together, too, with a lot of different personalities. Uh, first of all, everybody good, everybody safe. Donnie Jones now at, at Stetson, Billy, Oklahoma City, uh, Anthony Grant winning the National Coach of the Year uh, hardware at Dayton, and I don't know what the hell Larry Shiat's doing. I got no idea. I don't think anybody knows. Pam, can you get me a margarita? Shai, <laughs> how, how is retired life, first of all? You know, it's, I did just enough basketball and traveling and going to college games that it, it was great. It's time that I never had with her in the past. But I got to tell you the truth, man. I need a job, man. <laughs> I told you, you, you can be my intern. It's fine. I, I have projects, plenty of projects. I don't pay well, um, but you can be my intern, and, and I won't treat you like Billy did when you were on his staff. I'll treat you a lot nicer. You're not living in Laramie, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, hell no. Uh, once, go around the horn first of, of kind of what's the one thing uh, with Anthony since he was the most successful of all you guys this past year. Um, of what you miss most, what you miss most right now, Anthony. What what's the one thing uh, in this this pandemic right now that you kind of miss most? Yeah, it's, it's got to be being around the guys. You know, like uh, all of our guys are, are you know at their uh, in a safe place, obviously with their families and loved ones, and and uh, you know this is the, the this would normally be finishing up the academic year, getting ready for finals. And so you would just be now getting ready to kind of send your guys off to different areas and you'd have your hands on them a little bit, be able to kind of clean up some end of the year stuff. And uh, we don't get that opportunity to do that. And, you know, obviously through modern technology with Zoom and, and obviously keeping in touch by the phone or text message, we can, we can do it, but it's not the same as term, in terms of having your group together. Billy, with, with the NBA season kind of coming to a halt here, what, what, you know, you think it's going to be back? What, do, what are you missing? Well, I think like Anthony, you know, you miss being around the players. You miss being around the group of guys. Um, you know, I, I think probably for, as coaches, we're all really, really creatures of habit. You know, there's always like a routine when you get up. You know, you go in, you get prepared for your staff meeting. You, you, you plan as a staff to get ready for practice. You go through practice. You kind of come back and watch film on your next opponent. You may go work out. And you're in a routine, and obviously all that's, you know, changed, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, and you're trying to find different ways to be productive and, you know, efficient with your time. And uh, the days are a little bit different. You know, I think when you're in season, the days are pretty similar. Like, you know what your schedule is. Now I think it's a really, really a lot different. And I think we're all hopeful that we can get back to playing, but I don't think anybody knows right now. I think everybody's just trying to remain very, very optimistic. Donnie, what, what – you know, obviously, you've got your family around you now. I mean, that's the benefit for, I think, all of us right now. Um, normally, we'd be on the road. Um, you'd be recruiting. You'd be out, you know, uh, at events or, or whatnot. How, how much fun is it to have this time? Or is it more stressful because you're trying to do both? Yeah, well, I think uh, it's an incredible opportunity. It's almost like setting the uh, reset button. Uh, I think, Jeff, having the opportunity now, uh, uh, as, as Billy just mentioned and Anthony, you miss your players. So the, the, the new normal is not the same normal. Uh, so now your, your normal routine now is to get up and create a routine. And, and obviously your family, you have a chance to have some consistency and some uh, momentum. Uh, every day I'm working my son. You know, he's in the ninth grade. I get to work him out every day in my driveway and spend time with my daughters. So they're part of the routine. So uh, for us not to take advantage of that during this time would probably be something we'd regret uh, because we had the opportunity to do it. 
Guy, where are you down in what part of South Carolina are you down? And, and is it opening up soon to where you're going to be able to go out and go to restaurants and, and whatnot? Well, we're about 30 miles north of Clemson, maybe 40 miles south of Asheville in the mountains here on Lake Kiwi. It's a beautiful area. I think what these guys said, I would echo, uh, look, there's a hidden blessing in all of this because it's reminded us of what we've missed for many years. Uh, in my case, you know, not having an opportunity to be with the kids or our two grandkids right now, that, that's, that's tough. But uh, I think the toughest part for me, even though I got to go to a lot of college games, is just mingling and mixing with the people that you've known the, the best and the most. Uh, I did get a chance to spend four or five days with Anthony and his staff and Donnie and his staff. But, um, and we had a nice reunion when Coach was so deservedly honored uh, with his name being put on the court at Florida. That was a, that was a fun time. But I think just impacting the kids, like these guys would say, the impact you have on young kids. I, I learned what, what I was maybe missing in the NBA. Uh, that's the biggest difference that I could see from the college game to the NBA game. All right, so let's get going to the, uh, the 06-07 Florida Gators and um, last team to, to repeat. Last team to repeat, and I don't know, you know, Villanova obviously came close the last few years, and Jay Wright's done a hell of a job, but uh, that group you guys had uh, was fun. I mean, it was fun, I'm sure, to coach, although I'm sure you had your challenges with, with a few of the guys. But uh, I, I want to know first who recruited – who was the first to see Joe? Because I remember seeing him at the Providence Fan Fest or something like that uh, and thinking, kid couldn't catch the ball. I mean, literally, he had, like, hands of stone. He couldn't catch the ball. And uh, he turns out to be one of the, the, the great college players and certainly a hell of an NBA player, too. Who was the first one to see him? And uh, recount that story for me, if you can. Go ahead, go ahead, Billy. I, I think it was Tommy Ostrom, probably the first guy I think that saw him. Yeah, you know, Tom, Tommy Ostrom was with us before he left. And um, he was the first one that really saw Joe Kim and thought that he would really be a great fit. And um, I think to your point, Jeff, you know, going to ABCD camp back then, you know, in Jersey, you know, he started off as a ball boy, never really got invited into the camp. And then I think that summer he really, really took off. Uh, but I think Tom Ostrom was really the first guy that really got the chance to, to see him play and thought that he would be really a great fit for us. And then really just recruited him throughout the course of the summer. And then obviously into the fall and, you know, we were able to, you know, have him sign with us, which was obviously a, a, a big get. But, you know, the one thing about Joe Kim, which a lot of people don't talk about, you know, his freshman year, he really didn't get a chance to play a whole lot. And I think it was a real challenging year for him because guys like Torian Green, Al Horford, and Corey Brewer were pretty significant rotation players at that point in time as a freshman. And I think when you come with the freshman class and you're the only guy that's not playing, that can be really challenging. But I certainly think it motivated Joe going into his sophomore year. Do you remember ever having a conversation with him after, you know, so many kids these days, it's more prevalent now, but, you know, wanted to bounce, wanted to transfer. Hey, coach, you know what? I'm not sure if this is right, especially seeing those other guys in his class get more run. Was there – do you remember a conversation like that? Well, I think – I don't know who we were playing, Jeff. I think we may have been playing like um, – I think it may have been Ohio University in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Maybe we went on and played Villanova. I don't think we right. lost the next but I don't know if any of these guys were in the room. I was in the room. He came in to see me, and we sat yeah. down and spoke. And, I was there. Yep, and, and he basically told me that, you know, he was really looking for direction because the year was really hard. But he had a lot of people around him telling him that he should leave. Really? And, you know, I basically told him that David Lee is a senior. He's going to be gone. This has been a great learning experience. And to be honest with you, Jeff, part of the reason why Joe ended up coming to Florida, a big part of it was – he never really shied away from competition. And I think a lot of people in the recruiting process told him not to come to Florida because he was going to have to sit behind David Lee. And we really talked to him about being able to compete against David, who was probably at that point in time, we felt like had a great opportunity to be a first round draft pick and was going to play in the NBA that he could really learn and grow. And Joe, I think really was excited about that. And I told Joe that, listen, this season is going to come to an end here relatively soon. And then it's going to end up being your time. And you're talking about last year. You need to be thinking about how are you going to be able to step into that kind of position 
and really, really be able to help the team. But he was always very honest. I think Joe is a guy that um, he doesn't shy away from adversity. He's not a guy that's going to run. I think he's going to attack things head on. And I think he was just probably a little bit confused because people were wondering, you know, what kind of fit it was for him because he just wasn't playing. But he, we, had, we had a guy that was an old league player, and David Lee was playing in front of him. Anthony, how, how surprised were you um, that that team, you know, again, you, you guys had, had got through a little bit of a stretch there uh, where you hadn't got out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Then you lose what you did, right? I mean, you, you lose Roberson, you lose uh, Matt Walsh and David Lee, and all of a sudden you kind of hit the ground running. You knew you had some good young kids, but did it surprise you guys as much as it surprised the rest of us? Yeah, I, I would say we felt like, you know, the year before, as Billy mentioned, when you have, you know, Anthony Roberson, Matt Walsh, David Lee, that crew that we had, and those guys as freshmen seeing the impact, the way they impacted that team, not just winning and losing, but on a daily basis in practice, what they brought, the energy they brought, and the way they competed. We felt like we had a chance to be good. And then you add in Lee Humphrey, uh, Adrian Moss, Chris Richard. You know, you had some pieces that we felt like if we hit it right, we had a chance to be good. I, I think being honest, I think when we played in the preseason tournament in New York and uh, just the way we came out and, and, and played there, we all felt like this, this team could be really good. Now, obviously, you take it one game at a time and you try to prepare as best you can. You know, what a lot of people don't remember about, about that year, uh, you go from being unranked at the beginning of the year to winning it all. But there was some growth and some adversity over the course of the year. I think we finished uh, – what, what was our conference record that year? Ten and six. Ten and six in the league. You know what I mean? And it was, it was competitive. It, it was, it was a, a grind every single game. But, you know, you saw those guys, the way they fought and the way they grew. I, I felt like when we went through that and then we went into the postseason in the SEC tournament and winning the SEC tournament, we, we got better. And we grew and we learned. So uh, every game, and Billy did a great job of keeping those guys focused on one game at a time and, and just continuing to grow and get better and what we needed to do to, uh, to win the next game. And, uh, you know, just uh, to see the, the growth that those guys uh, made over the course of the year was pretty fun. Donnie, what was your favorite kind of story? You know, kind of what I wanted to get you guys together, kind of <laughs> tell – I almost want to stay out of the way and just kind of hear the stories of that year. Obviously, with, with Joe, with Al being, I forget if his nickname was like the grandfather or something like that, with what you guys <laughs> called him or the team called him. But there had to be so many stories because of the differing, you know, personalities on the staff, on the team, everything like that. What was your favorite one? Well, there's a lot of them. Uh, I don't know if I got one favorite, but you know, one that stands out, uh, and Billy loves this one, is uh, Rick Flair. Uh, 2007. Uh, we're making that run and we're trying to figure out second time around. Uh, you know, Billy always talked about the, the different path. You know, we're, we're in the repeat situation. And so talking about the different path to get up the mountaintop is going to be different than what it was in 2006. But really worried as we got closer to that Final Four opportunity. We're coming in, we're getting ready to play Butler uh, in the Elite Eight. Uh, Butler's got a really good team. Uh, we could feel that our guys had a different look on their face before the games, the preparation. We looked really tight. So we started trying to build up through film footage and different things throughout the uh, events of what Ric Flair would look like. So we would put Ric Flair to a highlight clip, and, and all the players are looking like, golly, what's Ric Flair coming out saying all these things? And then he'd pop off the screen. And then so it built up all the way because we were trying to figure out uh, Billy wanted to bring Ric Flair to the locker room. But we were thinking, well, well, these guys even know who Ric Flair is. Some of these guys were really young guys. So we had showed him a lot in the, in the video clips, and Joe Kim Noah was loving whoever Ric Flair was. And so we're getting ready to start the Elite Eight, and in walks Ric Flair during the pregame talk. And Joe Kim Noah jumps up, chest bumps him, jumping up and down. It was just like uh, an unbelievable excitement. And, uh, and, you know, just to see the, the tension from our guys just finally take a breath and, and put their focus back on it. His pregame speech was a typical rant uh, that you guys are the greatest basketball team in the world. And, you know, he was doing his dance and, and coaches doing the dance with him. So uh, it, was a, it was a great way for our guys to take a breath 
and just go out and play. Just go out and, and play like we were the best team in the world at that time. And I think it really took a lot of pressure off those guys. But it was a really cool buildup, I think, with the Ric Flair story. And then Ric Flair walks in. And I thought that was a pretty cool deal. I'm one of the few who has seen Billy do Ric Flair. <laughs> it was on the streets of Akron. And if anybody had a cell phone back then, if I videoed that, I did have a cell phone, but I was not smart enough to video. That would have been EMZ everywhere because that, that was a year that you had decided to go back to Florida, right, Billy? Um, well, I think there was, you know, just some talk about that. I think it was really after that 2007 season that happened, but I remember we That's were in Akron. Was. That's when it was, though, in Akron. It was after. Yeah, it was that, yeah. I, I came back and then, uh, you know, you, we, we talked about that. You asked me to impersonate Ric Flair, so I did it on the streets of Akron real quick. You, you really enjoyed that, Rick. You really enjoyed that. Who wouldn't? Listen, I, I'd enjoy it now if we, if we had you, you know, where we could actually see the whole strut. Everybody. I, had a good, I, I had a good teacher. I had Flair be able to teach me. The, the, the motivating tactic shot. What? What was that like that year to try to get these guys? Because they came back and, you know, Joe could have went and been, what, a top three, five pick. Uh, Al could have left. You had guys that, that could have left and made money. They came back. How hard was it to keep them motivated? And in February, did we see kind of the result of that when you guys went through a little bit of a, of a rough stretch, I think losing maybe three out of four? Yeah, we lost a few down the home stretch after actually we had cut the nets down beating South Carolina and winning the league outright. Let, let me backtrack just for a quick second, yeah. because I know when Anthony was talking about the process these guys went through the, that first year, I, I got to tell you something. I, I, looking back, I think because Torian Green didn't really get what he wanted and had to back up literally uh, Roberson for that entire year. And, and the guy was averaging like 13 turnovers a day. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was one of the healthiest growths and probably helped our team more than anything. He was a catalyst. I just had to throw that in. And one quick story before we get serious about motivational factors. I got to tell you this one. I know Coach will remember this because he thought it was funny as shit. Hey, look, we are getting ready. I want to say for one of the few teams that's going to press us. I, I want to say maybe Bruce Pearl's team because they were dumb enough to press. And so – we, 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 uh, we talked about some press offense if, if there had to be a, a stationary possession. And so it really was going to come down to layups, dunks, or Lee Humphrey. You know, we sort of said that in jest, layups, dunks, or Lee Humphrey. And we're, now we're going to play live. So we're going up and down, and all of a sudden we're going fast as heck, exactly what they're going to want. And so I, I go, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? And honest to God. Joe Kim stands up and yells, yo, pop a shot. Time shot. out, time out, time out, time out. Let's get, let's get it, let's get it right, shot, because this, this is classic. <laughs> you stopped and you went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Coach, is that what you want? That's right. <laughs> he says, yeah. <laughs> and then Joe Kim says, hey, Papa Shy, this ain't Clemson. This is Billy Ball. <laughs> I think uh, people have asked before Billy's uh, greatest attribute, maybe his, his blessing in basketball. And I think it's just beyond the X and O's. And I think it led to this second championship. So much time spent, whether it was individually or collectively, with players, trying to find out what's motivating them. Oh, what's, what do they have to overcome? What problems do they have that we're not seeing? And I know all the time you'd say, Shy, before we can talk about the scout or, or the preparation, we've got to know what each one of these guys is going through. I think that was the difference. Before we continue that interview, I just have to let you guys know that it is that time of year again. We have waited two years for this moment, and it is finally here. March's biggest tournament is back. Gonzaga's getting ready to run the table. Slippers are being fit as we speak. And our partners over at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, are putting our listeners at the center of the action. How? If you bet $4 on an underdog in a select game this week and that underdog wins, you win $256. That's right, $256. Here's how it works. You download the app now. You use the promo code FIELD68 when you sign up. 
Scroll through the list of select underdogs, bet $4 on one of them to win, and cash $256 when they do. There is no better way for you to put your college hoops knowledge to the test and then to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. It's safe. It's secure. It's reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. I know this because I use them. So remember, the code is FIELD68. That's FIELD68 to turn $4 into $256. For a limited time only, must be 21 years or older. Restrictions apply. Go to DraftKings.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Listen, Billy, the, the one thing I, I always tell people when they ask me kind of about you, and I always feel like you're always in the moment. There's so many other people that, like if I'm talking to you, you're locked in. You're not looking at your phone all the time. Like so many other people, myself included, and, and, and other people, whether it's coaches or whatever, you're so locked into whatever that moment is and focused on it. And, and I think that's a skill that I, I don't know when you learned it, uh, if there was something in your life, if that's always been you, but I, I think that's something that not a lot of people have. Well, I appreciate it, Jeff. I mean, obviously you are such an engaging speaker that I just can't take my eyes off. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, for me, I, I think these guys will agree. There's always like these inflection points that a season never just goes smoothly. Like there's always these really, really difficult situations and, you know, I think as coaches, you take chances. And, and we talk a little bit about 2007, but I think these guys will remember this vividly. And I think that this could have gone either way, you know. Um, we were 10-6 and six in the league. We weren't playing well. I think we had maybe one or two le games left in the regular season. And um, we had really gotten beat pretty handedly uh, by Alabama at Alabama. And, and Richard Hendricks, I think, had like 35 points and 15 rebounds. and. Um, Joe Kim and Al as sophomores really got manhandled in the game and they weren't as disciplined as they needed to be. That game ended any opportunity to compete for regular season championship outright. And I'll never forget we were watching film and Adrian Moss was really frustrated because he felt like he was a guy that did all the little things, all the right things and that those guys shouldn't be playing, that they should be sitting on the bench. And a lot of times I think players can get defensive. The thing that Noah and Horford did is they looked at him and they acknowledged that he was right, that they weren't really doing their job well enough. And it was a pretty explosive meeting in the locker room, in the film room, when this happened. And, you know, Adrian and I got into it. And I think what we were all trying to do as a staff, and to Shai's point, we were trying to get Moss to understand that these guys were really a lot more gifted and talented than he was. But he was very concerned about what was going to happen to him being a senior. And we were trying to get that, him to understand that he could coach these guys and help lead these guys and spend time. But he didn't want to hear that most of the year. He wanted to play. And he always looked at himself as being in competition with those two guys. And I'm going to do all the little things to help us win. These guys are not doing it. And I think Noah and Hawford acknowledged that he was right. And then those two guys went to a different level. And I think that's the point in time that we took off as a team that year. Who's got the best uh, Joe story that we can tell? Not the R-rated one, but the best. Let me finish that story because yeah. I think it's, it's great what Billy brings up. We're, we're, uh, we go through that, and, and obviously Adrian – Adrian wanted a bigger role in terms of, of what he was asked to do with that team. We're in the NCAA tournament, uh, I think in Jacksonville, and we, we win the first game and then we go out and we win the second game uh, to advance to the Sweet 16. And I'll never forget, we're in the locker room and obviously everybody's happy and celebrating. And, you know, Billy closes it out. The guys are all sitting there getting ready to change. I don't know who else was in the locker room, but. I remember you just happened to, to, to walk up to Adrian to congratulate him, and he's in tears. And he says, he says, I think in front of, I think, I, I think most of the coaches were in there. He says, I get it now. Really? I get it now. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like he, 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 he understood 
this is the role I have to play. And he saw the emergence of Joe Kim and he saw the emergence of Al and what they were able to do and what our team had a chance to accomplish. So it took him the whole year. Actually, you know, second round of the NCAA tournament before he got it. And the, the beautiful thing about it is he was a key piece in us being able to win, you know, against Villanova and Georgetown and, and to, to advance and, you know, get to the Final Four and what we did there. And then here, here's a guy that went through that, that, that personal, what's my role, how does this work for me as a senior, to the guy that was handing the president of the United States the jersey at the White House after we won the national championship, and he went on and played professionally himself. So I think it's a great lesson in there, and, and I still use it, you know, with, with our guys in terms of guys understanding, you know, every role is important, uh, whether you're a starter or whether you're coming off the bench. So I think that was a great teaching point, and just to be able to witness that, the way Billy handled that in that situation with with uh, with Adrian and uh, just his consistency in terms of, hey, here's what we need you to do, and 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 here's you know you have value, and then to see it come to fruition, that that was terrific. Well, I think to add on to that, and to finish it up is when we went back to here just a couple months ago to honor Billy to have his name put on the court. Joe Kim Noah walks in, and, and Billy and Shy. Uh, were there as well. What jersey was he wearing when he walked out of the court to celebrate Billy's name being put on the court was Adrian Moss. Wow. He had Adrian Moss's jersey on. And really? it's a lot because the respect he had for Moss. Yeah, that's pretty uh, cool. He, he, yeah, that's all pretty from cool. that. That's what he was yeah. representing. He had Moss's jersey on. That's awesome. Yeah, how, how much did Noah – I mean, you know, you could see the immaturity of him, and I'm sure he drove you crazy in, in a lot of different ways, all you guys. But he played hard as shit. We know that. Um, how was he to coach? I mean, what? I, I went back to a story. Is there some story that stands out about him that uh, entertaining yet um, would show kind of what he was about? Three different thoughts that, come to my mind real quick. Three thoughts. And they all have a randomness about him, but they all have Joe Kim Noah written all over. First of all, he was really taken back when he, when he suffered his uh, mono. I mean, I took him to the hospital at 2 a.m. and he had uh, stayed away from any attention until it got to the point he literally, they wouldn't let him leave the hospital until he could swallow on his own. It was that bad. Uh, but that was the kind of physical toughness he had. And then I always remember the fact that Joe Kim, if you went to get something to eat and Joe Kim saw somebody on the street, he always had five bucks, 10 bucks to hand to that person. He never forgot where he was from. He always knew where he was going. And then last but not least, I will never forget my second press conference at Wyoming. Out of the kindness of his heart, he chose to come for Midnight Madness and to see him with a cowboy hat and stirrups on, I got to tell you, <laughs> that's a picture all of you would like. <laughs> it's pretty good. Billy, you know, Jeff, I, Jeff I, think, I think the thing with, with Joe Kim is I know in a lot of ways he's, he's a lightning rod, and I think all these guys will attest to this. He was a great guy to coach um, because he was all about the team. You know, two stories that stand out to me about him to speak to him that people don't see – I never forget this. We'd won the national championship. We're going into the next year. And I had gotten a, a call from his mother to give me a heads up that Sports Illustrated wants to do an article on he and his father, Yannick Noah. And they want to put him on the cover of, of Sports Illustrated. And they, he agreed to do this interview. And um, he came into my office a couple of hours before the writer was coming in and the writer was coming from California. He said to me, I don't want to do the interview. And I'm like, Joe, like you agreed to this, this guy's coming. He says, I don't want to do it. I said, well, what's the problem? He says, it's going to look like it's all about me and it's about all of us. And he said, the only way I'm doing the article is if they put the whole team on the front cover and sports illustrated didn't want to do that. And the story never made it to the front cover. Wow. Like he was a lightning rod. And I'll never forget this. These guys remember this. We were in the NCAA tournament, and you can imagine, you know, as you move in advance, there's more and more media coverage. So when he goes into his locker, it's hordes of people around him. Yeah. And you have Al Horford that's sitting in the locker next to you that's a, a lottery pick that's really not even getting any attention. 
And Al loved that because he let, let Joe deal with it. Yeah, I don't want right. to deal with it. Right. right. But what <laughs> Joe said after that is, hey, listen, I know I bring a lot of this attention on myself. He says, but I, you guys are the most important thing to me. So I think when these guys saw the things that he did for the team and the unselfishness, it also allowed him to be who he was because nobody ever looked at him as being a self-promoter or a guy that was just wanting interest. Like the way he acted, the way people do, it, it was like that all the time. It was never a show. That's who he is. But people unfortunately don't get a chance to see the stuff behind closed doors. How, how different when, when all these guys that weren't, I don't even remember. I didn't look back at the numbers, but like Al was ranked in the 50 to 75 range. <laughs> Brewer was the highest ranked, right? I mean, by far, of that group that played. How, how did that change all of you in the way you recruited in the future? Because in the past, it had been all these heralded guys, right? I mean, Matt Walsh and Roberson and David Lee, and they didn't do what this group did, um, which kind of came in with a chip on their shoulder. They worked hard. They, they were about the right things, not to say that the previous one wasn't. But how did that change? how you guys all recruited as a staff? Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, Jeff, I, I think the reason that that team in 2006 did what it, what it did was because of the guys that came before them. Okay. You know, I, I, I really do. I think, I think the, the things that, that we learned as a staff about us, I think the things that as assistant coaches, we learned in terms of what what Billy wanted and what we needed and, and who we were, what our identity was. And then, you know, it was it was never really about where guys were ranked. Um, Billy never talked about, hey, we need to go out and get, you know, this. Let's look at who's top 25 in the country. It was never about that. It was it was more about the skill set, more about the toughness, more about their mentality, the character, those type of things. The one thing I will say, I still use this to this day, Billy. You probably remember saying this. We're we're at a at an event watching watching some guys play, and he had two sayings. He goes, you know, it's not the Melrose games, okay? It's not about <laughs> guys that can run and jump and all that stuff. And, he, and then the best one was, hey, listen, I can teach, I can I can help a guy on defense. I, we can play help defense. It's really hard to play help offense. If a guy can't dribble, pass, or shoot, it's hard to help him. <laughs> what are the other good so those, Billy sayings? Those, those, always, those always stuck with me. Yeah, give, give me a couple other good Billy sayings. Donnie, you got any? Yeah. Uh, he said this one to Joe all the time, and I still use it today. Uh, you don't know what you, you don't know. So just shut up and listen, okay, because you don't know. And he used that one a lot. Just uh, especially with Joe, because Joe had all the answers as rookie. Year. And, <laughs> I'm, uh, sure, he, I'm sure that he, that relationship. You probably write a book on that one, right? Absolutely. Um, Billy, what what? I guess describe to me that the first national title when, when you guys won. I remember being on the court and just seeing. It was early on. I I kind of transitioned from doing recruiting to covering college and covering both at that point. And I knew you guys so well. And just to see you in the emotion that all of you had on the court, I will never forget it. Honestly, I'll never forget it. Uh, because you could tell, again, I go back to the beginning, how you guys work together. And then I saw it even more as I progressed in this, in, in covering the sport, to how staffs just aren't that way. Most staffs don't have what you guys have then and now to where as you work together, uh, and you could see it in your faces. What was that night like for all of you? What what happened after that night? How many how many beers were consumed? Where did you guys go? What was that night like? Yeah, Jeff. I you know I think going back a little bit, you know Anthony and myself and Donnie and John Pelfrey were together. You know, obviously for so long, and then John left and went to South Alabama and took a head job, and. Um, you know, we probably as a staff, including myself, we kind of, as Donnie said, we, we knew what we knew as a staff. And I think the relationships that were built during that time, it ran a lot deeper than just basketball. Or this is our job. We were all extremely, extremely close. You know, it was like, I really mean this. It was, we were like brothers. And um, 
I'm really, really grateful for the time I had with all of them because of, you know, when you're hiring a staff, when you first get hired at 28 years old at Marshall, I could have never imagined hitting home runs like I hit in the hiring process. You know, I knew Anthony a little bit from Miami High. Donnie was already at Marshall, so I knew him a little bit. John, I coached so I knew, but you didn't know how it was going to pan out. And I think one thing that helped is when Shy came in, I never forget this, you know, like Herb Sendek and I worked together and Herb coached me in college. So I was looking to hire a new assistant. And uh, I said to Herb, I said, Herb, do you have anybody? Because I think one thing for me in the hiring process, I like to talk to people that I work with or I'm close to because they know what it's like to work with me and what would fit. So he said, yeah, the guy you should go hire is Larry Shy." So I call up Shy on the phone and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm interested, you know, want to talk. And Shy and I knew each other a little bit because our paths had crossed. I had just graduated from Providence. He came into Providence with Rick Barnes. But we didn't really, really know each other. Um, and I, I like, I talked to him. He says, hey, you know, hey Billy, thanks for the call. I, I, I'm not interested. And I was like, wow, okay. I mean, it was pretty quick, right? Uh, but we ended up talking some more. And, and then obviously Shy came on. And I think he brought a different perspective to our group which was really, really helpful. Some experience, some age. Yeah, and but I also, I think a different way of doing things. You know, and I think Shy probably learned from us and we learned from him, so we were kind of taken from each other. I think that culmination of when that happened, I look at it this way, you know, Shy obviously went through a very personal situation at Clemson. And I think for him, those moments really kind of put some closure for him on a lot of a lot of stuff that he he had to deal with and go through in a tough situation and we all became very close i think about anthony and all the jobs that he bypassed that he could have had every opportunity to be a head coach and you know felt like he wanted to stay and felt like there was i think the word he used all the time that there was more for me to do at florida and he was never a, a self promoter and i think the same thing with donnie you know, looking at situations and both those guys wanting to be head coaches, but saying, you know what, like, I still feel there's more unfinished business here. Like, as a, as a head coach, you can't, you don't know the character of people until you get in those kind of situations. And the character that they had and the loyalty they had to me and to the program was really the main reason why we were able to get to that point, because there was a lot of struggles, Jeff, to your point of five years of getting knocked out in the first or second round. And it would have been very, very easy for those guys to say, I'm, I gotta get out of here. You know, they, they, Jeez. all of them really, really stayed all the way through by my side and helped me in a lot. And it, it, it wouldn't have happened without those guys and out the, without the players. All right. Billy avoided the question. Which what is what? I like. That's it was unbelievable. I mean, what do you mean? What was it like? I mean, it was unbelievable. We we had we had you know unbelievable celebration on the court, and we went back. The, the the athletic department had like a big room for all of us to kind of share time with our families in. Um, it was unbelievable being able to get back to that point and then just be able to reminisce for you know for shy to be able to talk about his journey and getting to that point, and Donnie talking about his journey to this point. Same thing with Anthony. You know, everybody's journey. And you say, my gosh, you know, we got to this point and. It was an unbelievable night being able to share that with all these guys. What, um, give me your, I've thought about doing a book on this at some point, and I don't know if it would be a book, but, but I think it would be fun to hear everybody come up with their favorite um, in-home visit story. I did, I did a story about it years ago, and there were some great ones. I didn't mention names, but you had, uh, and you guys might know this, but the, the one coach who went upstairs, had to go to the bathroom, flushed the toilet. The toilet didn't go down. He came back downstairs. He was an assistant. <laughs> came back downstairs to his head coach. He's like, hey, coach, we ain't getting this kid. We got to go. You know, the, the toilet had backed up. Nothing he could do to get it uh, flushed. So what, what, what's your you, – you have to – I mean, I heard the story, Billy, of you and Pell. Is this true, the story of you and Pell chasing down Mike Miller on the highway, driving all the way for hours, chasing him from, like, Vegas to California? We ended up, yeah, we, they, that, that AAU uh, trip, you know, you couldn't talk to the players, you couldn't have contact, but we basically drove behind their van from Vegas to LA. Maybe the funniest one, Jeff, or one of the funniest one, Anthony can talk to this because Anthony's in a much, much better shape than I am, and the guy looks like a Greek god. We're recruiting <laughs> Lee Humphrey. 
And Anthony and I had to go water skiing. You should have seen that one, trying to recruit Lee Humphrey on some river in Tennessee. It was like unbelievable. We're sitting there underneath like some tree a a picnic table. <laughs> Lee Humphrey's like doing like one doing ski slalom, so I yeah. couldn't even get up. It was unbelievable. I'm like, yeah. we must really want this guy pretty bad. Yeah, I got I got one for you. So we're uh, we're recruiting Chris Richard in in Lakeland, and so his coach likes to golf. Okay. I don't know the first thing about golf, right? <laughs> Billy, Billy, we go out there and, and we're on the golf course and, and I'm like, just what the hell am I doing out here? You know, yeah. I'm like, okay, what club do I use? Whatever. I'm driving the for probably first time I ever dro- drove a golf cart. Right. So I get off, I get off my cart, get my club. I go to hit the ball. Right. I come back, put my, put my club back in the, uh, in, in the bag. And as I go to pull off, my bag falls off the back of the cart. I'm like, oh hell, what did I do? <laughs> like, I get back, boom, next, next hole, I go back, same thing happens. I go to take off, boom, my bag falls off. And I'm just like, what the hell? Right? About the third time it happened, I look up and Billy's just laughing his ass off. He's just laughing his ass off. So him and the coach are just loosening my bag up, just messing with me. Just, you know, I gotta chase my clubs all over the all over the course for like three holes before I figured it out. <laughs> Oh man, that is a true story. I remember that one. <laughs> oh, you must hey, have some good ones. I gotta throw one out here just because I've obviously had unique stories over forty-five years. But with Coach Donovan, he comes in the afternoon one day and says, "Shy, here's what we're doing: me, you, Duke, and Lewis. We're gonna go hog hunting. What? We're gonna go hog hunting. <laughs> Dan Werner and his daddy like to hog hunt. Oh. What?" I don't do me a favor later, so I don't have to talk about it. Just look up on a video what hog hunting looks like, and you'll never want to do it the rest of your life. So you did it. You guys went hog hunting. Yes, we sure did. <laughs> Within the radius of the NCAA, 20 miles off campus. And I got to tell you something, like I said, I've never seen anything like it, nor will I ever again. So you did, did you see, I mean, did you see some hogs while you were out there? Oh, yeah. You did. Like I said, pull up a video, yeah, and right. I don't think you'll want to do it either. I'm not doing really it. Really like Trust me, I, I'm not going hog hunting anywhere near Boston, Massachusetts out here. Donnie, you, you got a good one? Uh, one of the things stand out to me more than a visit is uh, your recruiting visit was an official visit with Joe Kim. Uh, I was thinking about when his, him and his mom came to uh, visit campus, and uh, she's a very artsy lady. And when she come there, she asked for a bicycle. And I know that <laughs> I know Billy's like, hey, well, let's get her a bicycle and let her ride around. She probably just wants to see campus in a different way. And so went and got her a bicycle and I asked her, do you want me to ride with you? And she goes, no, I'm good. I'm just going to take a ride across campus and I'll be back a little bit later. Uh, this is about three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, she'd been going probably at six o'clock, it's seven o'clock. And we were kind of like, well, she hasn't came back yet. Maybe we should get in our car and kind of go look for her. So I'm in my car driving around just making sure she didn't get lost or she's okay because she's been gone for about four hours. And I drive down by the lake, and she's sitting down by the lake right off campus there, and it's full of alligators. And she is meditating down by the lake by herself. So I pull up in the car, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, do I get out and tell her, don't get so close to the lake? Or do I just let her have her moment? So I sat there in the car for about 15 or 20 minutes and just watched until she was finished. And she got back up on her bike and she took off and she rode back to the office. And I know it come to the day when she made her decision, uh, when her and Joe Kim were sitting in the office and, and, and I know Billy and Anthony and Shia, they were like, hey, how do you feel about the visit and this and that? And she says, you know, she goes, I went around campus by myself. She goes, I took in all the students on campus, and I know my son, and I know he fits here. I saw his life over the last couple days about how he would see it through his eyes. And so it was pretty interesting that as a mother, she knew where her son fit. And the trust she had, obviously, for for Billy and our staff, but, but she had her own way about what she was doing. And I thought that was one of the most unique visits, um, you know, from a mom on campus that I've ever experienced. Hey Billy, before we'll, we'll wrap it here in a few because I know I mean Shy's got nothing to do. Like we're entertaining Shy 
so that's nice. But the, the other three, although Billy, you can't have much to do right now. Like what you're doing Zoom calls with the team. Like what, what else? These guys got to recruit at least. What are you doing now? Well, I mean, we're we're connecting, you know, with our players individually and co collectively as a whole. Um, we're getting on calls uh, staff-wise to, to discuss different topics. Um, you know, there's there's organizational calls, you know, that we're on. Um, people have reached out, like someone like you, you know, do the Zoom call, or uh, Lee Klein from Five Star asked me to do a coaching clinic. Um, just trying to use the time to, to learn, grow, get better, look at our team, figure out ways to help them. Uh, but like I said in the beginning, you know, it's a little bit different because to what Donnie said, you get up and you're trying to carve out a routine. And sometimes because the level of communication is on like Zoom calls or team calls, you know, you're having to block off time and you got to be somewhere to take the call, you know what I mean, which is a little bit different. So you're just trying to find a routine in this time, but there's plenty of, of stuff that, that we can do to try to try to improve and get better. What do you miss most? And, and I don't know if this was true or not. You and I talked about it, but um, when you left college, there was some frustration when you left at that point with, with where college basketball was. Right. And that was, what are we, six years in? Um, it, it's probably gotten worse. I, I would, I would, and I hate to use that term worse because, you know, in some areas, I think it's going to get better. And, and we kind of put this kind of uh, broad term with it, that the college basketball is bad and AU coaches are bad. We know that's not true. We know there's a lot of great AU coaches uh, and there's a lot of really good people in college basketball. But why did you, I guess, leave or become – maybe leave isn't the right word. Why did you become – uh, very frustrated with, with, with where college basketball had gone at that point. Yeah, Jeff, I don't know if I was necessarily frustrated with college basketball. I mean, I love my time in college. I think there's this perception, you know, that I, you know, didn't want to recruit. And that couldn't be further, any, anything further than the truth. Re recruiting is challenging for everybody. You know what I mean? And it's not something that everybody says, oh, it's the, it's the best part of the job. I think as you get older – the thing I love is the game of basketball. And I always, my whole entire career, had intrigue with the NBA. And I've always had intrigue of just, like, focusing on basketball. And I think my biggest frustration at the time with college basketball for me was we would get to the end of the season, and hopefully you're playing into deep into March. But if you're not and the season ends, yeah. we really weren't doing anything with our guys at all from – you know, March all the way till the end of August, you know, when school started back up and they would lift weights and do those things. And I just felt like there was more that, you know, as a coach in college, we could do. And obviously those rules have changed since then. and Things have been implemented where guys can do more with their teams on a yearly year round basis. But I think that was, I, I didn't like that. You know what I mean? And, and I think for some of it, you know, for me, it was just the idea of just basketball all the time. And I enjoyed that part of it. And I missed, you know, some of that uh, and a lot of it to be not so much we needed to practice all the time, but ways to help guys get better. And um, I think you look as a, as a coach, you know, when the, 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 the coaching profession is so demanding, you really want to be able to do things you really love doing. But I didn't really have a problem with college basketball, per se, or have a problem with recruiting. I think it was just more the fact that I love the game and a, a chance to go to a the highest level, chance to learn, a chance to grow. Obviously, love Florida. My relationship with these guys and Jeremy Foley, so that had to be right for me. Um, but I've always had an intrigue. I don't. I never felt like I. I got to get out of college. You know, if I would have stayed at Florida, I think I would have been very, very happy. Uh, I think in any job, nothing's perfect all the way around. It's just not reality. But I enjoyed my time in college, and and have really enjoyed my time in the NBA. Yeah, I bet. I bet you don't miss. Uh... I mean, when I talk to Brad Stevens, he says he'll look for people to call now. Like his phone's just not ringing uh, very much. And, and he doesn't miss, I guess, the grind of the recruiting calls and, and having to go cross country just to be seen by a 17-year-old kid. Like that's, that's got to get old, right? I think, I think the hard part for me in recruiting, which I did not necessarily love about it, was there was, I mean, we were talking earlier about some incredible stories and incredible people. I mean, even players that we didn't get, you know, just getting a chance to meet people and um, delve into those situations. Where I had a problem was 
the wasting of time that on decisions I made to continue to recruit somebody that we probably just didn't have a chance to get. And I blame myself more than anybody else, but I also think one of the things that can help in recruiting, and I think over time the relationships that get developed, I always love when someone said to me, hey, Billy, go ahead. If you want to recruit him, try, but you're not getting him at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay, great. You know, I'm going to move in a different direction, but I think about the amount of times and trips, like this whole pandemic, what's going on right now, I think about the amount of time I invested even in recruiting and it was a really, really, really good process, but a young man chose a different school. Yeah. I've always said this about recruiting. There's no prizes for second place. You don't get some kind of, you know, reward for yeah. trying hard. Either you get the guy or you don't get the guy, but you think about it all the time away from your family, away from your players, things that you could be doing, but that's part of the job too. I've always enjoyed when people have been straight up and say, listen, this is probably going to be a really, really hard get. Now, if you want to keep trying and you can prove that, that you know, this is the right place uh, for, for me, then, then go ahead. But I'm just being straight up to let you know that it's probably you're, you're fourth or fifth, you know, on my list. And it's going to be really hard to get to number one. All right. I got one more topic before I let you go. Um, and, and all of you can weigh in. We'll start with Anthony. Um, this new G League thing, um, Jalen Green chooses to go to this new program. Isaiah Todd uh, chooses to go to this program. They're paying greens in excess of 500 grand a year. Um, I wrote something. I don't think this is going to affect college basketball all that much because I think we, we all knew that the rule was going to come back in at some point to, to, for kids to be able to go from high school to the NBA, and now you're having two or maybe a, a couple more. Eventually, you're going to have 8, 10, 12. Um, is this – what I can't figure out, guys, is why Adam Silver is doing this. Is he doing this, do you think, to market the league and make the G League better? Is he doing it so that the R.J. Hamptons of the world don't go to New Zealand? Is he doing this? My personal thought, and, and I don't know if this is right or not, is he put all his cards on the table a couple years ago saying uh, he was favoring the rule to go back to, to where kids could go out of high school. And now he's thinking to himself, or he's hearing it, that maybe not, that's not the best thing. So he's going to try this instead to get kids not to go straight to the league, but to at least have a year uh, after high school to go to the league. Uh, I don't know why. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on this, Anthony? The league itself or? or, or um, the whole just, situation. I mean, yeah. it, is this, is this going to crush college basketball? You you coached in the league and in yeah. college in the last few years. I think you have a different perspective than most people of, is this good for these kids? Or is it just something where, again, listen, it, it, it's yeah. going to happen anyway. What's the big deal? We dealt without right. LeBron teams in college, and college yeah. basketball was just fine. Yeah, I can't say I know whether whether or not it's going to be good. I think that'll be on an individual basis. But my my thought, I can't begin to tell you. I know what the commissioner is thinking or what the G League is thinking. But I think uh, I, I think the opportunity to to make the G League maybe the second best basketball league in the in, in the world, you know, as opposed to kids needing to go overseas to to uh, you know expand their either their opportunities to make it to the NBA or or to make a, make a living, you know, and be able to, to provide for themselves and their families. And, and I think anything that you can create for young people that, that give them options and give them an opportunity to, 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 to earn a living, I think it's good. So some kids will look at that and, and they'll want to do what the Jalen Greens of the world have done and, and say, okay, I'm going to bypass college. And I think this is the best opportunity for me and my family where other kids will value the opportunity to go and learn from, uh, some great college coaches and an opportunity to maybe uh, work toward or to earn a degree in college. And it depends on the, the values and, and what the, the individuals are looking for. So I think, uh, you know, you look at different, different situations with, with uh, every player. Like you, know, you look at that team we had in 2006 and 2007, none of those guys would have probably been selected for this G League uh, opportunity right now, and they went out and back to back national championships because they they were bought into where they were, where their where their feet were, and, and, and being a, being a part of something bigger than themselves. So, I think it'll be hopefully it'll be something that will benefit guys that that 
maybe are looking for that opportunity to continue to develop and, and get better and just focus strictly on basketball uh, and, and earn a living. Uh, and it'll give maybe some other kids opportunities to to take advantage of what college offers. So I, I think it can be a win-win. I don't think I don't think one necessarily means the other one has to suffer. Anyone else want to weigh in on this one? I know Billy. Yeah, I'd love to get. Yeah, yeah. I got. I, you know, I, Donnie's been. You know, has done scouting for the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Shy's obviously been with Matt Dallas. Yeah. Anthony and I would get it Oklahoma City. I, this is just my opinion, and I have a totally different perspective on this. Yeah. I think the the thing that the players are dealing with is what is a better place to develop, the G League or in college? Sure. This is the dilemma. So I don't get a chance to watch as much college basketball now, but when I see games, when was the last time you really saw, besides the elite offensive players in the NBA, post-up? There's no post-up game. Zero. Because of a narrower lane and because the college game, you can play from the low post. Um, I think until we become unified in the rules, where the court dimensions and everything else are the same, it's different. And I can see a lot of these kids saying, you know what, like I'm a front court player. I'm being forced to play inside. Nobody in the NBA is really posting up anymore. Is my game going to transfer? Now you're sitting there looking at a college coach that says, listen, for us to win, you got to play inside. I look at Udonis Haslam as an example. Udonis Haslam was a dominant low post player. He was as good as anybody ever coached. Guys never posted up for 17 years in the NBA. So they got to carve a different niche. So I think one of the things that's the struggle for the players is when you talk about the NBA, the G League is a great platform for those kids to learn the NBA game. Do I think college coaches can develop players? Absolutely. Can the G League? Absolutely. The problem is you do not have the same rules or the same game. So I think a lot of these kids struggle a lot of times when they come up to the NBA and things that they could do in college, they can't do. So maybe in some way that development piece could be better for them by being in the G League because they're going to learn NBA rules. I think that's the biggest dilemma is the kids are thinking, where can I get developed better? It's not like, you know, any college coach is a bad developer of talent. It's just the game is just different. And, you know, I I mean – you play the Milwaukee Bucks, they got the best record in the NBA. They got the Lopez twins are out there at seven foot one shooting threes. Right, right. You know what and I mean? And I'm not saying guys don't post up at all, but the center just feeding them like it was with Patrick Ewing and Olajuwon and David Robinson, it's, it's just different now. And in college, from the analytical standpoint, you can post up and be efficient. I don't know if analytically in the NBA, unless you have an elite, elite player, if posting up's a great thing all the time, unless you're dealing with mismatches. So should the, should the rules be the same? Uniform guys? I mean, Donnie, Shy, you can add into this because all of you were in the NBA or covering the NBA at one point. Uh, should, should the shot clock be 24? Should all the rules be the same um, across the board? I think so. Uh, Jeff, I know the time I was with the Clippers, you know, and I was on the scouting piece, uh, I know we were looking uh, more than anything, you know, what guys' levels in college, like Billy just said, how it translated to the NBA. Uh, what was the learning curve for, from guys coming in? Those were things we asked questions about. Uh, being in the G League here now, obviously it's going to give an opportunity for the elite players, a place to land and, and be in a position to grow quicker and, and I think translate quicker. Uh, I know guys like Billy, they don't like coaching 18-year-old freshmen in the NBA. A uh, guy like Doc Rivers, who I was with, he didn't want a lot of young guys coming in the door. He had a bunch of veterans on his team. So the learning curve for those guys to have a place to grow uh, other than college, because even certain college programs, you had to evaluate, does that style of play transfer to how these kids have been coached in college by the time that they come to the NBA? And I think there's a big learning curve when they played a certain style of play, and now they're being asked as as Billy just mentioned, to post up, uh, to understand uh, positioning. Can they guard their own spot? Are they two-way players? I mean, there's so many questions that's involved. Uh, but I think that from the F, or from FIBA all the way to college, all the way to uh, the NBA, uh, I think the game should be the same. 
we, we have such a learning curve. We're one of the few countries across the, the world that plays three different ways. High school is different. College is different. FIBA is different. And now the NBA is different. So we got four different ways you have to learn how to play instead of just being one way that a lot of these international players have started at a young age. And so their game translates quicker at the NBA because they played this style of play and they understand spacing, shot clock, into quarters, execution, spacing, all those things that it takes time uh, for us to be able to teach well, even at the NBA. All right. Well, listen, I, I, I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, I, I feel like it's got to be happy hour for shy any minute. So I don't want to <laughs> go too long. Five o'clock somewhere, fellas. <laughs> listen, I, I appreciate you guys doing this. I, I really do. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's good for me to see all of you. So I hope it's good for, for you to see all of you as well. And, and uh, hope everybody's kind of safe and, and sane uh, out there. And, and Billy, if you want to end this with one Ric Flair, uh, yell. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be opposed to it. Woo! <laughs> Thank you, boys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Let's Jeff. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for doing this. And uh, we'll talk soon.